people get it stuck in their head of why they're there, but you need to remember why the host wants you there. As crazy as it sounds, that viewpoint is the single most vital thing to being successful as a guest. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci. And you know, if you want to be a successful author in today's world, you better learn how to be a great podcast guest. And because podcasting and promoting your book through podcast interviews has become a powerful and highly effective tool for raising awareness about your book and getting people excited enough about your book to go out and buy it. And so with that in mind, I invited to join us Jeremy Slate, who is going to give us some incredible tips on not only how to be a great podcast guest, but also some tips on how to run a successful podcast yourself, if that's something that you have imagined or wondered about. Now, Jeremy is the founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast, which studies and interviews the highest performers in the world. Now, Jeremy is a pretty highly accomplished guy himself. He studied literature at Oxford University And he specializes in using podcasting and news media to create celebrity and was ranked number one in iTunes new and number 78 in the iTunes top 100. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. Jeremy was named the number one podcast to listen to by Inc. Magazine in 2019, as well as being named a top influencer by Forbes. After his success in podcasting, Jeremy and his wife, Brielle Slate, founded the Command Your Brand to help entrepreneurs get their message out by appearing as guests on podcasts. So yes, you are very welcome. (laughs) no seriously so yes i am thrilled that we have jeremy here to share with us some incredible wisdom today so jeremy welcome to the author's corner thank you so much for having me and it's great to connect again by the way as well because i know you were just on my podcast and we had an awesome conversation which i usually book out for like 25 minutes by the way and i think you and i talked for like 45 so it's great to be back yeah, yeah. And it was so fun chatting with you the first time. And I'm super excited to have you back here today because I know one of your areas of expertise. And now we get to talk about your expertise today. <laughs> Always fun. And one of your areas of, of expertise is how to be a good podcast guest and how to get the most out of being a podcast guest. Mm-hmm. And I want all of our listeners, if you're listening to the author's corner, you have ambitions to be an author. Maybe you already are an author. Maybe you are an author who has even bigger ambitions than what you've accomplished. 
And getting this right is really key mm-hmm. to success in today's world. So I guess, first of all, why don't we take a couple steps back and sure. how did you get to the place where you figured out how to be a successful podcast guest? Interestingly enough, so my master's is in ancient history. I studied how the Roman emperor convinced people he was God. So like that's what my master's is in. And my intention was to go into a PhD program, which I didn't get into. So I taught high school for a couple of years and my mom had a stroke in 2012. And I just got, I was super burned out at that point in time. And that just kind of happened to be the key event to make me look for something different in my life. So I tried just about every business model you could think and started a podcast really just as a hobby. And we had 10,000 listens in our first month. And from there, it's taking me to having, you know, we're going to hit our thousandth episode actually on July 4th of this year. So it's been seven years of incredible conversations. And we started a company because people said, hey, can you like help us with what you're doing? And the, the first version was a podcast production company, which I found out, you know, I was doing it for myself, but I wasn't great at doing it for others. And one of the things we did to launch podcasts was get people on other podcasts, right? Because that's what makes a ton of sense. So we got here, not because I planned to do it, but because people were like, hey, can you help us with this? Yeah, interesting. And you know, you just said something that triggered me to think of a question on that. Now I'm hoping. <laughs> so what really just jumped out at me as you were speaking, 10,000 listeners, you said in the first month? First month, yeah, we had 10,000 downloads of the show. Wow. And this is what on the same subject matter that you do now, like the yeah. successful people and mm-hmm. that's extraordinary. Thank you. That's actually the title of my book. But uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. But it's interesting though, because like you know, this is in 2015. So you know, the podcast world, first of all, is a lot different. There were like 240 thousand shows out there. There's about three million now. Depends on like which directory you look at. Some say three and a half. Some say three. But you know, it's a much different world. And for me, I had no following or anything at that point in time. So it was just what I was willing to do in order to get out there. Frankly. Yeah, and so. What were some of the things when you were just starting your podcast that you think helped you grow so quickly? Even in, it was more of a blue ocean, but there was definitely yeah. blood in the water. So what did you do <laughs> to, what were some of the things? Because I think that these yeah. are relevant. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is realizing, you know, number one, like, because I think a lot of people depend on guests to share the show, which is great and it's nice, but especially now it's even harder, right? Because they're doing more podcasts, they're doing more interviews. They can't be like, hey, I was on this podcast here and this one here and this one there. Like it's just harder overall. So, like knowing that, I was like, okay, so if this is going to get out there, it's going to be on me. Like that was kind of the big thing. My first podcast in 2014 was called Rock Your Life and it was terrible. And somebody else had the name too. So I had to like spell it incorrectly, which was even worse. Um, <laughs> So I had all of these like bad experiences too, which also taught me of like, I didn't have a microphone. So it was my old iBook G4, which those don't even have like good computer mics. So it was, I sounded like the parents from Charlie Brown. (laughs) So it just, it wasn't very good. Right. So I did that for about 60 days. It, It wasn't great. And when I started this podcast almost a year later in mid to late 2015, the big difference was number one, I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm really going to do it. So I made a list of the top 100 people I most admired because guest quality is important, though they may not get you traffic, but the conversations you have really matter. So that was one part of it. The other part about it is I had read a book way back called The 10X Rule that kind of just changed my thought process of how I approach a lot of things. I mean, it really helped me when I was selling life insurance, by the way, because it kind of like, you don't make one phone call and cry. You realize you got to make a hundred. So it was when I did this launch, I was like, okay, it's going to be a lot of effort to get it out there. So I had 
I built a small email list that had about 700 people on it. And I knew the main stat that drives ranking is your number of subscribers you can get in a 24-hour period. Because those charts, and it used to be iTunes, now it's Apple Podcasts, they have a hierarchy of how they rank you. Number one is your total subscribers in ratio to the total subscribers you have. So subscribers gain to what you have. So a big jump can help you there. Second is downloads. Third and at the bottom, which barely matters is reviews. So those are the thing that can really drive you is getting subscribers. So I knew if I could get that, it was going to matter. The issue is just asking for a subscribe can be confusing to people. So I asked for a subscribe rate and review to kind of get that. And I had a whole template I put together. I found a how-to on the Apple website because people get confused. Like, oh, how do I do it? So like, I had built this like really good email on how to do it. So I emailed those 700 people on the list I had built. I got a few of them to say that they had subscribed. I then texted every single person on my phone. Maybe I had a couple hundred people on my phone at that time. I don't know how many I had. I was also reaching out to people on Facebook. I found out after you send the same link 500 times, they don't let you send it anymore. So that I found my limit there. LinkedIn, I had... Because a lot of my early career was like in the fitness world. So I built a lot of people in like fitness connections. So I reached out to, I think about 3,000 people there individually as well. And I did it by hand as well because I know there's automation. So it took me like eight hours to send all those. And then I had also, I got to the point where I was like in public with friends and grabbing their phones and showing them how to subscribe and show them how to write a review. So by the end of 10 days, we had gathered about 60 reviews. And I figured when you got to look at your fall off, right? I figured that netted us probably somewhere around 100 subscribers, right? So that was enough to kind of like get some early attention. And at that point in time, iTunes new and noteworthy was still a big thing. Like it doesn't really matter that much now, though it's still out there. But at that point in time, you'd get in it, you'd be in it for eight weeks and you got promoted at the front of iTunes for eight weeks for free. So I knew if I could get enough traffic, I was going to get this free promotion. That was going to be a big deal. So that was a big deal for me. But at the same time, a few of my early guests were like super, super helpful. Like Grant Cardone put me on his Twitter account, his Instagram account, his Facebook account. He sent it out to his email list. Like, so (laughs) yeah. So I had a lot of success with like early on, like getting people to help me. So that early traffic set us up. I was thinking when you have a podcast about really successful, high-performing people, that probably also helps. Yeah. Because then there's other people who follow them who would then be interested in what you have to share. Yeah. We also ran some retargeting ads as well. So like retargeting from the perspective of we promote podcast episodes at people that like, you know, like Grant Cardone on Facebook or like Lewis Howes on Facebook or like Tim Ferriss. And that was actually helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into how to be a guest, because I yeah. definitely want to make sure we <laughs> I'm curious because you made a list of the hundred people you admire most. Yeah. And I presume that you did the outreach there. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to ask you about any tactics that you use to do that because this is also relevant to authors. So pay yeah. attention because something else that you need are endorsements for your book. And I'm going to wager a guess that some of the ways you might have done outreach would also be effective in that way. So would you share with us a little bit of those uh, tactics? Yeah, it's changed over the years as I've kind of learned more about like how the game works, if that makes sense, because it is definitely a game. And originally, I was using a couple different tools, one being hunter.io. It's a, you can put in like different websites, and it'll show you emails that it exists and things like that. So that was one of the tools. The other thing is I was also just kind of guessing 
like I'd try like grant at grantcardone.com or Gary at vannermedia.com. Like I was just kind of guessing some of these emails. And if I got a bounce back, I knew it didn't work. If I didn't get a bounce back, I knew it went through. That was part of what I was trying. And that was actually highly successful, believe it or not. Because initially it was like trying to get in touch with the person. And that did work early on. Like Seth Godin responded to me right away. And he's like, oh, that's super cool. Good luck. You get to 400 episodes. I'll be your guest. And he was for episode 400, which is cool. But for that, it was just really finding about getting in touch with the person. And I found that the way you pitch is important too, because I think so many times people get really concerned about their own ask, like what they want. And you know that's nice. But at the same time, like when I lead off an email, I talk about purpose first, because I think that's really important. A lot of people talk about their ask or their numbers. And up front, if you make it about the ask or make it about the numbers, you're now talking about the ask or the numbers. When you can talk about, what, well, the purpose of the show is blah. And the reason I want to talk to you directly is because I want to talk about one, two, three, and four. So it's really important that it's really particular to that person and show them how it's kind of a unique conversation they can have anywhere or can't have anywhere they can have with you. So that gave me a lot of success early on. And then the thing that helps is as you get those names, more of those names come, right? Because you can then add them as social proof. Like we've had this guest, this guest, and this guest. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And when I didn't have that early on, the thing that helped me is how I positioned the people I talked to. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this person has done blank. This person has done blank. This person's done blank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what you're saying is so spot on and it really does. I'll just quickly take a minute to say it really does apply to asking for endorsements. Like you Mm -hmm. don't ask for the endorsement you want to say what it is specifically about this person that would make that a meaningful endorsement yeah that person inspired you and what are you offering in the book that you think is really aligned with something that they would like to move forward Mm -hmm. and and then you'll get a better response yeah and i will tell you too robin like one of the things because you know as i mentioned my book just came out recently too one of the things i did that was really successful as well at least for the book, is I skipped email altogether for the book. I did a lot of hard work to get people's like actual mailing addresses. And I wrote non-templated long-form letters that were written to that person. And that actually really helped as well because people don't do that anymore. So you stand out. Yeah. A nice handwritten letter. I love that. That's great. That's fantastic. All right. Can I add some ninja tactics to that though? Because there's some ninja tactics I've learned that I use now that aren't what I did then. So there's two online databases that I use. One is contactanycelebrity.com. The other is IMDB Pro. I'm one of those people that when I watch movies, I'm looking at internet movie database, see what they've been in. Well, they have a pro version as well, where if anybody's been in a movie, even if it's a cameo, you can get their contact information or their representation's contact information. So that was two things that worked. But I also learned a hierarchy around that, right? Of what your chances look like. You have a better chance, number one, if you can get in touch with the person, two, their assistant, three, their publicist. Once you get outside of publicist, it gets harder, right? Because then if you get to like manager or legal representation or things like that, they really don't care. The thing you want to avoid altogether is a speaker agency because they get paid 5, 10, 20K a gig. So they, anything you talk to them about costs you money. Right. Brilliant. Wow. This is fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a treasure trove of gold. <laughs> Boy, we're getting so much more than we bargained for. I love this. All right. So now let us get to the matter at hand. So for an author, and I can tell our listeners by now would be convinced that you definitely are getting ready to share us some really incredible insights on this particular matter because you already have shared so much on these other matters. So to be 
a great guest on a podcast or to have a big win at, for being a great guest. What would you consider if you walk away from a podcast interview, how do you define a successful podcast interview? First of all, you know, how do you know that that was a win? You get to the end and you're like, man, I really like that person and I want to be their friend. Like, frankly, that's how I judge it as a host and as a guest. Like I did, like, I felt that way after we had our conversation and I like, I was on two podcasts on Friday that like I went and followed the people on Instagram. I'm like, man, I feel like we could hang out. Like to me, that's what a great podcast experience feels like as a guest or as a host. And the crazy thing about it is 97% of it, if not more, is just how you show up, right? Like I don't, I think people get so worried about I need to know my opening and I need to know like, you know, the steps I'm going to go through. And I got to make sure I have that pitch like really nailed because people have had it like nailed in their heads by like speaker trainers and coaches, all different things of like how they have to show up. But if you show up real and authentic and willing to educate somebody, that's when you have a really great experience. And something I usually do at the beginning of an interview, and I'm realizing I actually forgot to do it today, is I ask the host before we get recording, like, you know, how can I make this a really great conversation for your audience? Because too often as a guest, we show up with, I want to talk about one, two, three, and four. When you know what? You'll get to talk about one, two, three, and four if you find out what the host really wants for their audience and you really show up to talk in that way. So that's actually really, really, really important. And I'm sorry, Robin, I forgot to do that today. But Jeremy, I told you. <laughs> that's true. You, that's true. That's, that is true. You're right. Um, like, but it's, I think people, they get it stuck in their head of like why they're there. But you need to remember why the host wants you there, right? Like, you know, you knock on somebody's door, you walk in and you say, why isn't dinner on the table? It's not like that, right? But if you're in somebody's house and you're their guest in this standpoint, you want to figure out like, you know, can I help with the dishes? Can I set the table? Like, what can I do to help you? And it's the same way when you're coming on a podcast. As crazy as it sounds, that viewpoint is the single most vital thing to being successful as a guest. And that's how I've gotten speaking engagements. That's how I've gotten other opportunities. I've gotten, you know, all sorts of like social media shout outs and stuff because, you know, I'm here to help. And I think when you do that, that's how you have a great impact as a guest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And your whole mindset is about, like you said, giving and offering, you know, being of service. Yeah. That comes across very differently than I'm here to get something. Yeah. And also as well, like when you're showing up, this is actually something you think about in your pitch too, is you want to think about what can people walk away from that conversation with, whether they buy something from you or not. And I think people look at the success or failure of a podcast interview as based on well, what did I sell? Mm -hmm. And it's like, when you're looking at it like that, you're not thinking about the end user, which is the listener, right? The person hearing you through their earbuds right now. So when you do that, you're actually creating a really great level of trust and somebody wanting to actually then follow you because you're here to teach. You're here for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is, for that period of time, be open and be willing to tell everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that whole mindset of withholding is also counterproductive, right? Like just answer the question. Fully. Yeah. And I don't know if this has happened to you, Robin. Like I've had people on that, like during the interview, they're like, instead of answering questions, they're trying to answer questions with a pitch. And that's really hard. It's like, well, in my course at www.buymycourse.com, like it's like, that's really tough. And here's something I'll tell you too. And as you know, somebody that writes a lot and helps people with that, you'll understand this. The best way to answer questions is with a story. I had a guest on this morning that asked her a question about like work-life balance and she's a coach. So she answered the question with a story of somebody she worked with in a situation that person was in. 
it was so real to me and I was so enthralled. And it's the same way when you're thinking about people listening, you know, they're going to take 5% or 10% of what you talk about and use it. But what they're actually going to take a look at is kind of that mental transformation they can have by putting themselves in the shoes of the stories you tell. Absolutely. And by the way, that also works in writing books. Yep. Yeah. And people don't remember facts and figures and data nearly as well as they remember a story, especially when there's an emotional through line to it. So absolutely. There's like a Maya Angelou quote around that. And I'm going to totally butcher it. So I'm not going to give it here, but it's the idea that people remember what the stories you tell, you know, how you made them feel, you know, not what you said. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. That's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to Maya Angelou if I messed that up because she's awesome. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, she really was. Yeah, still is in her work too. All right. So showing up there to serve, have a real conversation. You know, one of the things I found to be difficult is this is for me and I know yeah. we have the same kind of approach where I don't like to send the questions ahead of time. I hate that. No, because then it, I feel like it really stifles the conversation. Yeah. And like a host will be like, so did you read the questions I sent her? I'm like, no, because I want to be really real for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was, I was, well, you just already answered the question maybe because I was going to say, what would you advise a guest do when they, you know, when they receive the questions ahead of time? I guess I don't tend to. I would glance at them because I feel like it's kind of rude to ignore it altogether. But I will tell you one of the things I do is, you know, we're busy. You're busy. I'm busy. So I don't have time to listen to like a full episode of a show I'm going to be on. But I will listen to a few minutes because I want to understand like what's discussed in that show. How do they talk about in that show? You know, what's that host like? Am I going to like the host or what do I have to do to have the host like me? So like those things are definitely important, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I do think that at least glance at the questions because, you know, some of them are going to be asked. Yeah. And it's rude if somebody puts in that work to just ignore it altogether. Exactly. Exactly. But you don't have to like write out all your answers because then it really truncates the whole conversation. <laughs> I had that happen once and the guy's like, it sounded like he was reading. And I'm like, dude, are you reading? Like what's happening? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and then you really don't know where to go with it, right? If they're reading their answers, because then it's like, wow, <laughs> dare I ask a follow-up? <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I'm not ready for that one. Give me a couple minutes. <laughs> so what else can an author do to really make themselves a great guest and really get the most out of the experience of doing podcast interviews? What are some well, of the opportunities that maybe people don't see? Well, there's a, a couple of different things too, right? Like I think at the same time, when you're having these conversations, you know, number one, realizing this is a really great networking opportunity. Like there's some cool things that maybe you and the host could do that are outside of the interview. Like maybe there's, you know, events and speaking engagements and things. There's cool opportunities if you just show up to be cool. And I think that's one part of it. The other part about it is like, you know, remember, like, yeah, we're here to offer value, but we're doing this for a reason too. So like part of it as well as having the stuff on your side in line. And I find the most successful call to actions are because when you look at it, right, like education has two parts to it. It has the theory of it and the information you gather, but there's also the doingness of it, right? Like what you actually do. So I find that whatever you give away is something that helps people apply what you just taught. Could be a quiz, could be a checklist, could be a worksheet. I've found that, you know, right now in the world we're in, I found ebooks just don't convert as well, but it's usually some sort of a tool. And that's going to kind of bring people into your world. Now, when you have that landing page, 
you should definitely have a Facebook pixel on that landing page. So you can do some retargeting traffic for people that do opt in and don't opt in. And there's also another really cool piece of code called getemails.com. And they have a massive database of people that have opted in for different offers that they can actually opt into your list. So you put that code on there and let's say somebody doesn't opt in, they can still opt them into your list. And then I put them into a seven-day email sequence from there. So you want to remember, like, I look at a landing page like a leaky bucket and you always want to find where you can plug every single hole that you can. So those are the things I'm thinking with. You can also put a Google retargeting code on there as well. So you're hitting people with display ads on Google. So whatever you give away should be in alignment with what you taught and should help people apply it. But also remember, you want to have the promotional tools around that. And as well, I find that the place you send people, you know, don't do your website.com slash or, you know, whatever it is, buy a vanity URL. And this is why, like, whatever you're doing.com or something like that. You're like, okay, so we use crush it on podcast.com. And here's why you should do that because you set it up as a redirect. Every time you have a new offer, whatever you're, you're doing, you can change the redirect and it makes all your old podcasts relevant again. So, like, these are things you want to be considering around that. So wait, the slow down on that last yep. part. So for each... Like go on GoDaddy and buy a URL. And then what happens... URL for each podcast? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. So I don't do it for each podcast. Like we use the same one over and over again. But let's say like, okay, you wrote a book two years ago. You're writing a new book now and somebody hears a podcast from two years ago. Well, you want that podcast from two years ago to have the book that you're writing now on it, right? So oh. what you could do is you could just switch where that URL redirects to, right? You just set it up as a redirect. I see. I see. I see. But do you always use the crushitonpodcast.com? And if it works for that show, like right now we're, we're doing book promo. So like I give out the book promo website, but it's once again, it's not a .com slash backslash forward. My website, my dash website dash .com. Like you want to make things that are easy and audio to, to get down. So, okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that you have different kinds of offers and they each have their own unique vanity domain name, Yep. then you can direct for that current interview or maybe even future interviews where that would be a relevant giveaway. Yeah, because there's two different reasons. One, because you can switch the offer, which is cool. Like, hey, you know, we did this three years ago, but we're doing this now so we can switch the offer. That's one part of it. Here's the other part of it. We had a client once that had a Greek last name. Good luck spelling it. So yeah. we just had him get something really simple and it helped his conversion rate because you want to be thinking once again, audio is your main method of delivery. People need to spell where you're sending them. That's why I'm like also not a fan of URLs that have like dashes and all this kind of stuff in it because that's really hard to remember. Or like getting cute with misspelled words. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, that also... It's dangerous. Because then what you have to think about is you have to buy multiple URLs in case they spell it wrong. Like that's just a pain in the butt. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. And so that seems like that would be a general piece of advice for anybody who's appearing on podcasts. Yeah. Have some sort of offer where people can opt in and get something that's relevant to what that they it's actionable and relevant. Mm -hmm. to what and it can be even a companion to your book as an author, right? Like it can be something that like if you're thinking about selling books, it needs to lead into your book, right? Like some kind of a companion thing to that or a tool or whatever it may be. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot because I know you just launched your book. Yeah. So tell us what's the page and what so, do they get? <laughs> so we're promoting 
we're, <laughs> we're promoting getextraordinarybook.com. And we're actually, the thing we're giving away is it's called 30 Days of Extraordinary. It's a 30-day audio program of you know reaching your full potential. And if they go over there and grab the book and everything, they can get it there. So we're actually promoting getextraordinarybook.com. We've gotten really great feedback on the audio program too. People are loving it. And the reason I did that is because I'm a podcaster. So people experience me through audio. So I wanted to have that, have them have that type of experience with me. That's exciting. And so are you doing all 30 or is this like snippets of various podcasts you've done? or both? So the way we did it, and it came out really great. I'm really excited about it is we took 30 and we divided it into like five, you know, like groupings of five. So I think that's like what, six groupings of five. I'm supposed to be good at math, but I'm not. So it's like six groupings of five. And what we did is we took really cool segments from previous interviews. And then each one of those five has an introductory thing where I kind of explain how it works and how you can use these things together. So it's even for people that have experienced the content before, it's a totally new way to experience it and kind of use it. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. It sounds like that could be the makings of another book. Or maybe, did you pull, is there any parallels between what you selected and what's in your book? So we, first of all, we pick things that align with the book, but weren't in it because at the same time, like we want it to be something that like, whether you bought the book or didn't buy the book, you're going to have something else cool that you can use. And I like, once again, I like audio because you that kind of access. So to me, it was like, if you bought the book, it gives you the ability to, you know, kind of get more out of it. If you didn't buy the book, it's kind of something you can enjoy and be like, oh man, I really need to buy this book. Love that. Yeah. That's very clever. And we used Anchor for that, by the way, because they have free hosting. So it wasn't like any extra budget for the hosting for the podcast. Oh, okay. So Because it's a free... It's a free private podcast feed. Oh, well, how about that? <laughs> Got it all figured out. I've been doing this a long time, Robin, just like you've been doing what you've been doing a long time. <laughs> These are just a mystery to me. And so I'm just going to quickly plug your book since we're on the subject. So the full title is Unremarkable to Extraordinary, Ignite Your Passion to Go from Passive Observer to Creator of Your Own Life. And it was just released on June 21st. So we yeah. are among the first. And the cover you'll recognize has fire. It was a really cool experience. And I think as somebody that helps people with this, you'll appreciate this. I wrote the book in 2019 and hit a giant delete button on the manuscript I wrote. And I rewrote the entire book because I was just like, this isn't very good. And what we got to now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this. I think you can get really married to the first time you try something and you have to realize like, you know, how is this going to help somebody? Yeah, I think that's great to recognize. And I mean, you went to the extreme. You don't always need to hit the delete button on the whole thing. But I'm that kind of a person though. <laughs> and I think that sometimes just starting from scratch really can just free you mm -hmm. strength as uh was it samuel johnson i think something about the killing your darlings you know your little darlings of this particular turn of phrase that you personally are in love with but yeah doesn't actually add anything to the book and i had to also learn a new writing method too which i think was helpful that i didn't use the first time which is what i used the second time so a lot of my conversations in the book are based on conversations i've had on podcasts and the thing I didn't want to do because I hate books that people put out, they're like, all right, transcript. Like, that's terrible. Like, why would somebody buy a book for that? So, like, what I really wanted to do is make something really cool and experiential. So, I took the transcripts of the things I really wanted, dumped them all in a Google Doc and organized them in the format I wanted to use them in. Then I took those and I turned the conversations into prose. So, it was something that was really like usable. 
And then I used voice to text from Google Sheet from uh, Google Docs and added a lot more like color and everything else into it. And then I went through and turned that into prose too, because Google's really bad at understanding what you have to say. And then my editor had a field day because I can't spell, but like it created something really, really cool based on how I put that together. Yeah, I love that. And so you say you can't spell and you're an auditory person. So that's also a really great example of how you can author a book, even if just straight going straight from brain to page Mm -hmm. form isn't really for everyone. And so you were able to make those adaptations, which is terrific. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that's really great. Are you one of those people who bangs out a draft and then cleans it up from there? Or do you kind of clean up as you go or... Okay, so this is going to sound really weird. And I do this on not, I do this on everything I do, like every article I write, everything I do. I write the middle first. I write the middle first. And then I go and write the beginning and I write the end because I want them to all like kind of agree and make sense together. And I'm not somebody that's a perfectionist on it. And my team always gets mad at me because like I say I can't spell, like I can spell. The problem is, is I just, I write too fast. So, And I don't worry about it being beautiful. I worry about getting it together. And then we worry about editing it because I feel like at least for me, everybody's different. I get kind of in a creative like flow on it if I'm just going. So there's no reason to stop myself by editing now and you know, we'll handle it later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I really do. And I'm thinking about one thing I've discovered as an editor is (laughs) that not just the editee, but one thing I've discovered is that generally when people think they're starting at the beginning, they're not. They're starting at the warm-up. And usually the opening paragraph of the chapter is about four paragraphs down from wherever it is. Yep. Oh my gosh, we had to cut so much because it was superfluous or like the actual point was later on in it and things like that. Or like they'd look at the sentence structure and be like, I don't know what you're saying here, but you're right. Like sometimes you have to write a lot to actually get to you know where you want to be exactly exactly yeah and it can really stop you if you try to if you have the expectation that it's going to come out the first time the way it shows up in print mm-hmm. you'll be 98 percent disappointed <laughs> yeah yeah like we also we like my first draft was seventy thousand words and we finished about fifty thousand. so like we cut twenty thousand words out of the book yep yeah. And you probably redid another 20 or 30,000, right? Because yeah. almost nothing shows up in print the way it was written the first time, which especially I, when you don't spell great. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what spell check was life changing for me as yeah. long as I'm close enough that it's going to put it in the correct word. <laughs> yeah. Cause I did like Mavis Beacon teaches typing back in the day. So like I like type really fast, but there's a lot of mistakes in it. Yeah. Yeah. I find too, like sometimes my brain is going so much faster than my hand that I'll just type letters that are ahead of the letter I'm on first. Oh no, I've, I've done that. I've always wondered if like I'm dyslexic or something because I'll spell words backwards out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's either that or you're just thinking too far ahead of <laughs> what you're doing. So, but anyway, the important thing is that you've gotten it done. And, yeah. And your second book, is it? Or is it? So, I've written like some other stuff that was kind of like just compilations of like articles and stuff I've written, but this is my first like real book. So it's been pretty exciting because I've been the, one of the things I wanted to do when I started my podcast seven years ago was to write a book, but I always told myself, 
you know, I wasn't ready or the timing wasn't right. And here's the one thing I will say to that, because, you know, sometimes there's a reason not to do it. But at the same time, like, you know, I was, I'm 35 now. So I was in my mid twenties when I started this podcast. So it's like, I also had to have some life experience and some things happen to me to be ready to write this book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very true. Very true. And I think that too, just having, like you said, just having more under your own belt, right? Not just interviewing other people who've succeeded and had their own journeys, which is also valuable. But at this point, you've also had your own things to confront and overcome. And so you're writing from a much deeper place of wisdom. And it's much richer, I think, for the reader because you're able to pull, like you get different insight if you do than if you didn't, if you didn't experience some of these things. It's just, it's so much richer in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And this is really true of any kind of writing. I think that this is why we almost never see a writing prodigy, right? You can see mm-hmm. You're old, you can play a violin like nobody's business, but you don't really find these super young, notable writers. And unfortunately, the few that do show up tend to burn out rather quickly. But I think that a lot of that has to do with the value that you gain from perspective and having lived and had your ass kicked. (laughs) One of my favorite authors, and I'm not sure you heard of him, is a guy named Chuck Klosterman. And he used to, I think he used to write for Rolling Stone, but he's gotten, he's written two books that I absolutely love. One is called Fargo City Rock. I mean, the other is called Killing Yourself to Live. He's a music journalist. And he pulls in some of these awesome experiences of his travel to go to see these artists and meet these artists and some of their life stories. And it's just, it's so much better because of how he's lived, you know? Right. Absolutely. Oh, and he also wrote the book Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, which is a really interesting book. I love his titles. (laughs) Yeah. He's a really interesting guy. Like the way he writes is very witty. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> when you were talking about him, I thought of Hunter Thompson, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, because, yeah. you know, covered some pretty wacky stuff himself. <laughs> in his yeah, he writes pop culture and music, and it's very interesting. Yeah, very fun. Very fun. Wow. Well, this has been so fantastic, and we just have received such wisdom from you. Is there anything, I'm going to jump to my favorite final question, is what did I not ask you? that you would love to answer? You know, it's interesting. And to me, it would, there's one book that I always tell people to read. And if it was that, I would like, I recommend this book everywhere because it's been life-changing for me. There is a book by Cal Newport and it's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. He wrote the book after he read Steve Martin's autobiography. And then somebody asked Steve Martin, like, Steve, how did you get so good? He goes, well, I was just so good. They couldn't ignore me, right? Like, you know, he worked on his craft and worked on his craft and worked on his craft. And that book was just so life-changing for me because, you know, I think so many times people are like, I want to follow my passion. I got to find that thing. But there's a difference between following your passion and finding your passion. Following your passion is passive, whereas finding your passion takes work. And I think that's what's really interesting is like, you know, you can work towards it. You can gain some skills. You can get better at things. And I think that's what it's really all about. Yeah, that's such a great insight. And it really is so true. I think that it's so easy to look in from the outside and just think, well, they're just talented or, you know, they just happen to be really good at this. I don't know if you saw the Get Back documentary that was on uh, Disney Plus about the Beatles. Oh, I didn't, but I've been meaning to. My father-in-law is a Beatles nut. So like we're huge Beatles fans in my house. 
I used to work with a trainer, by the way, and he's in his mid seventies. And he tells me about like when the Beatles first happened, it was just so vastly different. Like it was just a total disruption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I really noticed watching Get Back is, you know, this was toward the end of the Beatles journey as a group of four. And what really struck me, because understand, you read about like Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, right? And he talks, you know, you, you can master something if you put 10,000 hours. Well, the Beatles were way past 10,000 hours. They had had 10,000 hours before they got out of Germany. Never mind. Yeah. What they did in Germany is wild. Just playing right? in the red light district for hours. Yeah, like eight hours a day, you know, eight days a week. <laughs> eight days a week. <laughs> right. And so they were long past their 10,000 hours, but to watch them work on these songs. And I think John was only 17 at that point in time, by the way, when they were playing in the red light district in Germany. I think John was, I think George was maybe seven. Is that who was? I think one of them was really young at that point in time. But to watch them now, you know, in this movie toward the end of their career and, you know, they pulled this documentary from 60 hours of footage, but you know, they were putting in more than those 60 hours. And this is just in a month. Yeah. And the repetition and the rehearsal time and doing it over and over and over and over. And this is the Beatles, mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, the garage band down the street, you know, with the kids. Yeah. But it's so interesting because if you look at somebody like Jeff Beck or um, suddenly lost the name, but the guitarist from Zeppelin, like they do the small things so well, they do the easy things so well that they can do incredible things with those things. Like it's about mastering the basics on such a level. Yeah. And I don't think that we tend to really appreciate how much time it takes Mm -hmm. somebody at the peak of their career who's very experienced and has already hit the pinnacle of success still has to, if you really want to excel, you still really have to work at it. Yeah. And, you know, as a amateur guitar player, I found it incredibly inspiring to watch everything they put into it. And I thought Mm -hmm. maybe there's hope for me because if they have to work that hard, maybe if Mm -hmm. I just harder I could get a lot better too and I've been doing that and I've gotten a lot better and so I like what you're saying this is a long way of saying well I think if you look at it Robin I think a really good example of this is if you look at the career of really good pitchers in baseball you know in their 20 you know early 20s they're throwing 97 98 miles an hour they're throwing hard and you look at as they get older they can't throw as hard they actually have to learn how to pitch and that's the same thing they learn how to put the ball in the corner or, you know, fool the batter or things like that, or they change their wind up. And that's the difference is, you know, when you're young, you kind of inexperience, you kind of depend on, you know, one tactic or one thing, but the more experience you get, you have to do all these different things to basically like, you know, pitch well. Yeah. I love that. It's like you have this opportunity to really get into the nuance of your craft. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to writing too. You know, and you're right, because when you're young, you can get away with powering through for a while. Yeah. To really have an extended career in anything, you've got to be able to start to master that nuance. Yeah, like Mariano Rivera, he played for the Yankees, is the greatest closer of all time. You know, the closer is the guy that pitches the ninth inning in baseball. You know, when he came up, he was throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. He, He threw this ball called a cutter. And what a cutter does is it moves in towards the batter and it like basically breaks their bat. But what happened was this pitch was so good and he worked so hard on it over his career 
when he was only throwing 90 miles an hour or, or 88 miles an hour in his 40s, still pitching, he was getting guys out because he knew how to move the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as a pitcher, you really have to because you'll burn out your arm. You know, yeah. you just can't throw with that same power. Even if you had the muscle to do it, your joints wouldn't tolerate it. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Jeremy, I could just talk to you forever. <laughs> I'm in the same boat here. <laughs> I know. I, I'm glad that we're friends now because. Yeah, I agree. Have to keep talking. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, this has just been so fantastic. And I'm so glad that you answered the question I didn't ask because I think that opened up a whole nother avenue. And I just have a feeling that I'll probably see you here again sometime on the author's corner. Cool. I really appreciate you having me. This was awesome. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time. 